Welcome back to Held and Healed. This podcast is a resource filled with resources to help you on your healing journey. And we especially focus on women who are rebuilding their lives after abuse. I am grateful to each person who has taken the time to listen and to share this podcast. I just sit in my home with my puppy dogs close by in my pajamas with my hair sticking straight up and speak from my heart most of the most of the time without notes and to this point to the date that this is being recorded we have almost 5,000 listens so when I began this journey it was with some fear and trepidation and I simply said God if this blesses one person it's worth it And to know that many people have been encouraged and um, guided and helped along the way is very encouraging to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you have listened, if you have shared, if this is your first time listening, welcome. While we, of course, welcome other listeners, most of what I share is geared toward women who are rebuilding their lives after abuse and, um, I say it often and I'll say it again. I myself am not a counselor. I have a lane that I stay in and in that lane I find peace and I find joy in just serving in the in the ways that God has called and created me to serve. But being a counselor is not one of those. I do very often get um, questions about who I would refer someone to. And so if you are in need of a, a counselor, I look for someone who is trauma-informed and domestic violence-informed. Some of them may not even be licensed therapists, but if they are very much in the know and trained as far as understanding trauma and domestic violence, that is something that's very, very important. I have found that a lot of licensed counselors are not trained in those areas, and it can be very detrimental and can cause more harm than good. And I also get extremely squeamish at the term biblical counselor. And that is because in my own story, in my own life, I have been greatly, greatly harmed by people who consider themselves biblical counselors. So um, just know that's where I'm coming from. I am certain that there are good licensed counselors out there. I am certain that there are good biblical counselors out there. But in my experience... I've had a lot more damage and trauma layered upon the other trauma that I was walking through because of people who were not qualified, because of people who just threw Bible verses at me and told me to go home and pray when horrific, horrific things were happening at home that should have been addressed at a legal level and beyond. So that's just kind of where I come from as far as counseling is concerned. So when I refer a woman to someone now, I'm looking at, is this person trauma-informed? Do they understand trauma? Do they understand what happens to the brain and the body when abuse occurs um, or when other traumatic events occur? Do they understand the patterns and the systems of abuse? Are they familiar at the least? Are they familiar with the Duluth power and control wheel? But I would like to see more and more counselors, pastors, etc., become familiar with the 13 patterns and systems of abuse that Sarah McDougall and her team did such an incredible job of outlining and explaining in the book, Safe Churches. If you have not listened to my podcast, 
on the 13 patterns and systems, please go back in the archives and listen to that because it's very foundational for understanding um, where we go from here. And so today I decided that I was going to, off the cuff, without notes, share a bit of my story. And there is a bit of a disclaimer that comes with that. I only share certain parts of my story on public forums. And that is for reasons of personal boundary and also protecting the three people that I love the most in this entire world. So my story involves, um, obviously involves their father. And so I cannot, at this point in my life, I cannot share certain details of my life because I'm afraid that it would be very hurtful to my my children. Um, even when I share about my childhood and my upbringing and even uh, dynamics that have occurred in my adult years with my family of origin, I don't go into great detail there publicly either because I have a limited amount of energy, a limited amount of emotion that I can use in a day and I am not ready to for the backlash that would come from sharing my story publicly. So I just ask that you... Um, understand that framework that when I share my story, I share it kind of as an outline with generalities. And when I get to the parts about spiritual abuse, I may go into a little bit more detail, but I will not share the names or the organization names. And again, because I am just choosing right now at this point in my life to pick my battles and not name specific names or institutions because again the backlash I have watched oh my goodness I have watched amazing people advocates survivors share their stories publicly and I've watched what they've gone through (laughs) I have watched how the institutions and the individuals that have grossly horrendously grotesquely abused them come out of the woodwork and somehow make them the villains. And I do not have that kind of energy. I do not have that kind of mental capacity right now to deal with the backlash of abusers and what they would then, how they would want to spin it and turn it and and gaslight and project. So I will just share in generalities, the framework of my story so that when someone says, Hey, have you shared your story somewhere? I can be like, hey, go listen to this episode of this podcast (laughs) and you will understand at the end of this time together today why I am so passionate about speaking up, why I am so um, fired up. I get fired up against injustice. I get fired up against abuse. I get fired up against uh, people turning a blind eye to abuse or villainizing the victim survivor. So I know what God has called me to, and he has called me to be a voice. He has called me to speak up. He has called me to resource and connect people who are on their healing journey. Again, I am not a counselor and I do not claim to be, but I am a concierge of resources. I am a coach. I am an encourager and an edifier of other people. I am someone who is willing to go back into the fire and into the flames and grab my sisters who are still consumed by those flames and and help to pull them out. 
and then begin, you know, pointing them towards the resources that will help them. I myself do not feel equipped to advise women legally. I do not feel equipped to advise women um, when it comes to their safety and um, getting out and, and devising safety plans. And quite honestly, as I was talking to another um, advocate this week, quite honestly, I don't know that I want all of that. I am content with knowing the lane that I am in and then pointing people towards the resources of the people who can help them with those things. And it is okay if I draw a line at physical safety. If that's if that's a place where I don't feel equipped to train women, I can send them to the people who are. So if you are listening today and you are in a situation where you are physically and sexually um, experiencing danger, <clears throat> please, please refer to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And when you call them, they will know where to send you and, and how to advise you. That is not something that at this point in my journey, I feel equipped in. And I know when to say, this is not something I can help you with, but here is someone who can. I think there's a whole lot of freedom in knowing what we're called to and what we're not called to. So um, again, I am not a licensed counselor. I am very much trauma-informed. I'm very much domestic violence-informed, but I hang out in the lane of coaching, not counseling. So if you would like to grow in um, just certain areas of your life right now, we're getting ready to tackle the whole boundaries issue. And I'm going to be offering a 12-week course on boundaries. And we are going to discuss things like recognizing green flags in relationships as well as red flags. We are going to discuss the power of the word no and how no itself is an answer and a response. We will talk about not being accessible to other people 24-7 and how to draw boundary lines and how to know what is healthy and what is unhealthy. So if that's something that really um, you know is an area you'd like to grow in, uh, please feel free to check out my website, heatherelizabeth.org. And at the top of the menu bar, there should be a coaching tab that you can click on, and that will take you to the most current coaching uh, program that I have available. I am only doing one, maybe two at a time, and the one that's starting in February will be focused on boundaries. So I'm excited about that. It's an area that I have grown in, and I have a lot of room to grow in. We'll be talking about going low to no contact with toxic people and what that looks like. The power of the delete block button <laughs> on social media. You do not have to allow people who are antagonistical and um, just pushing your buttons and and questioning you and disrespecting you and, and abusing you. You don't have to allow them access to your social media account. So, all right. So I am just going to share kind of a framework uh, outline of my story. <clears throat> And then I will have a place to refer people. So I, I was raised, grew up, born into a family that um, at the time that I was conceived, it was a year after Roe v. Wade was passed. And at the time, my mother was a teenager. When I was conceived, I was conceived out of wedlock to someone who was newly orphaned. 
and the year that Roe v. Wade was passed, and there were a lot of reasons why the doctor thought that I should be aborted. So from the very, very beginning, I have had a target. The enemy has not wanted me to exist, has not wanted my voice to exist. And I'm grateful that my mother chose life for me. And that is, you know, I will always, always be grateful that she chose, chose life. She chose to give me life. And so I was born in about a year after I was born to these very much real hardcore hippies, pot smoking, tree hugging, barefoot, long haired hippies. Uh, About a year after I was born, my parents got, and if you could see me right now, I would use air quotes, got born again, got saved. <clears throat> and they were discipled by, at the time, a very legalistic church. Very legalistic. So the framework of their discipleship and their conversion was all about rules, do's and don'ts, and all about this long list of things that would send you straight to hell. So growing up, I was pretty much convinced that drugs, sex, and rock and roll would send you straight to hell and a whole lot of other things. But those were the biggies, the drugs, the sex, the rock and roll. So we were um, exposed to what I consider a denominational potpourri. And um, I was part of the Nazarene church. I was part of the Assemblies of God church. I was part of a Mennonite church that then um, split off and became part of a non-denominational but still had great influence from the Mennonite because you can split off all you want, but your foundation and and the core of how you were raised is still a part of you. So those leaders carried all of that misogynistic, patriarchal, man is large and in charge, um, carried that over. I then um, went to a Mennonite high school. So I was exposed to even more of that culture But when I say Mennonite, I'm talking about the more liberal, um, not, not the the conservative, not the covering wearing, but very, very liberal. Um, So sometimes when I say Mennonite, that confuses people. I, after high school, um, went away for a year and lived in Haiti. And on the mission field, we had a lot of visitors come to visit for a week at a time. And there I was exposed to all kinds of denominations. There was a denomination that I'm not going to name. There was one group that came and they were in the church building one night. And the noises that were coming out of that were terrifying, terrifying. I actually had some Haitians approach me that night And you're talking about the voodoo capital of the world. You're talking about people who have been exposed to voodoo, very dark stuff. And these, these Haitians came to me with eyes as big as saucers saying, what is going on in that building? So, so much in some of these charismatic Pentecostal um, denominations, so much of what is done is not of God. It is man-made, man, man created and it is like it sounded demonic to me it truly sounded demonic and so I was exposed to so many things while in Haiti so many different denominations came back from Haiti and 
went back to that non-denominational church for a season and then went to Liberty. So I got exposed to the Baptist theology. That was a season that was so, so, so very dark. Um, I went to a Bible Institute. There were about 200 of us on a Sunday or on a, a weekday morning. And of that class of 200 plus, there were only five women. And that was one very dark season of my life. I was exposed to so much spiritual abuse, so much sexual abuse. I was hit on by men who were married and other men who knew that I was dating or engaged the whole time that I was there. I encountered men who said that they were told by God to leave their wives and children and pursue Bible school. And I was like, yeah, right. God would really tell you to abandon your wife and your children and come to Bible school where you hit on single girls. Come on now. That's not the God that I serve. So I think my eyes at that point in my early 20s, my eyes were starting to be open to spiritual abuse in a very new and powerful way. I watched as one friend who was from Africa, excuse me, and he believed in the gifts of the Spirit. I watched him stand up one day and defend his stance on the gifts of the Spirit in this setting that was at the time not open to that. And I watched them like just destroy him. They destroyed him. He was a really good guy, had a really sweet spirit and and believed in the gifts of the Spirit. But because it didn't line up with the Baptist theology, and I'm not saying all Baptist churches believe this, but at the time that's where we were. Um, and I said to myself, I will write on the test the answers they want to hear, and I will put my head down, and I will just get out of here. I will get my certificate. I will get my my two-year degree or whatever it was, and I will not ruffle feathers. As a woman and as someone from a very varied you know, background who did not believe exactly what the Baptists believe, I knew that... I would be in big, big trouble if I spoke my mind. Um, They also at the time had a very strong emphasis on dress and we were made to wear dresses and skirts and I would get written up by RAs. I lived off campus. I was an adult, lived off campus, responsible for all my own bills. And here these younger girls were writing me up because I was wearing a skirt on a day that it was 30 degrees outside. There There was a certain temperature that you could wear pants if the temperature reached a certain, you know, low, but if you were still on campus and the temperature had, had risen, (laughs) apparently they could still write you up and you would get these demerits. And if you got enough demerits, then you were, you were fined. Um, so that's the kind of craziness that I was dealing with. It didn't matter that there was rampant sexual abuse on campus. It didn't matter that there was rampant sexual and spiritual abuse of leaders, um, to students and leaders, to parishioners. And I was privy to some stories back, you know, 25 years ago, I was privy to stories of what was going on on that campus. And now in recent years, um, the stuff that has come out in the news that has been exposed, that was going on 25, 30 plus years ago, trust me. But they would, they would get upset about me wearing a, uh, a pair of pants on a day that the temperatures were freezing. So I was exposed, like I said, to a whole new layer of of spiritual abuse, a whole new level of spiritual abuse. Came back from that time at Liberty, uh, returned to that non-denominational church, 
and through the years began to experience spiritual abuse that was unfathomable, just unfathomable. And um, participated for a decade with a local youth service camp and was um, introduced to people from many denominations through that. Became very good friends with quite a few friends who were devout Catholics. So I began to learn a little bit about the Catholic faith. And when I say that I am a denominational uh, spiritual potpourri, that's what I mean. Like I have been exposed to so many types of, um, of beliefs and I, I began to learn the importance of majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. And, you know, as long as our core foundation is that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, that he came to this earth, he's fully God, fully man. He came to this earth to live as a man, as a human being. And he lived his life as an example, sinless before us, the only human being to ever walk the earth. Um, sinless and that he came to lay down his life to surrender his life to be crucified the worst most horrific death known to man so that he could three days later rise again and give us that life and we could find our salvation not through those works not through those rules not through all those rituals but through Jesus as long as we agree on some foundational core beliefs I learned how to let a lot a lot of other things just slide and found some incredible relationships with people who believed very differently than I did um, or do. So that is a little bit of my history as far as church and religion. I came to know Christ at a young age. Cannot remember honestly a day in my life where I did not feel his presence with me, which is pretty amazing because I have endured every form of abuse that is in that patterns and systems of abuse. If you go back to those 13 patterns and systems, I have endured every form of abuse at some point in my life. Maybe not every single example on that list, but every system, every pattern that is listed, I have experienced in my own life. And to be able to say above all that, that I also knew the presence of Jesus. And I knew even as a child and later as an adult, I was able to distinguish between who God was and who church people presented him as or used his word as a weapon against me. I was always able to distinguish that's not God. That's not God. As a matter of fact, a book that is burning in my heart to release at some point will be titled, That's Not God. And it will expose spiritual abuse and it will draw the brokenhearted back to the heart of God the Father. That is that is what I want my life to do. I used to believe that I was to be a bridge back to this very broken institution. And now I understand that I am to be a bridge back to Jesus, not to some broken, abusive institution or system of religion. And it has taken me a long time to get to that place where I understand that the system itself is extremely broken but Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> he has always been and will always be who he is. And he created people with free will. And unfortunately, people get into positions of power, especially in churches. 
and they themselves are not healed and whole humans and they get big heads. <laughs> I, I think some people do come in with the intention to hurt and abuse other people, but I think the vast majority come in with the intention to help. But because of their own trauma, because of their own woundings, and because of the misrepresentation of God and his word and the misogyny and the patriarchy and the twisting of scriptures, they become very abusive and hurt people. And I know hundreds, if not thousands of people that I have walked with through my life at different seasons who want nothing to do, nothing to do with Jesus because of spiritual abusers. And so I want to live my life and I want to use the time that God has given me to point people back to Jesus and to help people heal and to validate the pain that they have expo- you know, been exposed to. I also um, currently, at the time of this recording, it has been almost two full years since I have been in a church. So I am not currently um, a fan of corporate religion, organized religion. The institution of religion is not something that is healthy in the area where I live and I for this season of life have experienced tremendous healing and peace and joy from removing myself from those toxic environments. So do I believe that healthy churches exist? Do I believe that there are good shepherds out there who truly protect their sheep from wolves? Yes, but they are very few and very far between. And my hope and my desire is that more and more churches will be like, okay, we recognize that there are problems. We recognize that we have allowed wolves to come into um, our churches and that our sheep are no longer safe. And we want to learn. We want to learn how to protect our sheep. So um, I myself am organizing and hosting a summit in March, March 25 through 26 of 2022. And the express purpose is to do exactly that. I am collaborating with um, 11 other amazing people who love the Lord and love the sheep. They love the people of God and they want to help leaders uh, create environments that are safe. So it's called the Safer Spaces Summit. And you're welcome again to go to my website, heatherelizabeth.org, and click on the summit link, and all the details will be there for you. So these are the things that I feel so, so strongly about uh, raising my voice. And um, there are some leaders that I have had through my, through my life who at the time I would have considered safe. Sadly, when I have shared some of my story and sent some resources to these people that I would have deemed safe, there has not been a response. There has been crickets. And that tells me that there is a lack of willingness to learn. So that breaks my heart because good leaders could become great leaders if they would be willing to uh, protect sheep from dangerous people. And I don't think that we're going to be able to go a whole lot longer sticking our heads in the sand. Um, The statistics of domestic violence are one in three, but those are reported cases and those involve physical and or sexual abuse. So when you open up the 13 patterns and systems of abuse, I know that I know that I know that that statistic is way higher 
I think you would be hard-pressed to find a woman who is in a church that isn't experiencing multiple systems and patterns of abuse because a lot of these conservative fundamental churches are breeding grounds for patriarchy and misogyny. And it's almost more prominent than it would be in the quote-unquote secular world. There's a lot of beliefs that are embraced by these cultures, these church cultures that the world looks at and says, are you crazy? (laughs) Are you crazy? You believe what? You think men should do what for women or to women? So I think honestly, when you're looking at the broader picture and the spectrum of the 13 patterns and systems of abuse, that you would find more abuse inside churches than outside. And that is tragic. That is tragic. And I'm here to sound the alarm. So beyond the um, spiritual abuse aspect and element of my story, I also endured horrendous childhood abuse. And just as a blanket statement, um, I endured as an adult um, domestic violence as well. I'll just, I'll just put that out there as a blanket statement. I won't go into all the details of either of those things. But to say that every day of my life from childhood until about 42 years I, of age, I experienced multiple forms of abuse on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, it was um, kind of enlightening to me when I was looking back over my life and remembering that one year that I lived in Haiti, that was the year of 1993, I felt such a covering and such a peace and so much joy. And I was like, God, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why did I feel, why did I feel those things when I was surrounded by the voodoo and the evil, the blatant in your face, you know, Satan worship. And it hit me it just dawned on me one day that that was the one year that I was not living under the same roof as one of these very instrumental, abusive, narcissistic people. And it just, like this light bulb went on, that when I was free of that abuse and I was free of that daily putting down and degrading and belittling and gaslighting, that I was just free to be myself. And now I'm happy to say um, that in the last couple of years, as I've experienced healing, as I've worked very hard at healing, as I've gotten counseling and coaching, as I physically have healed from a lot of of things, that I have started to experience joy and peace again and love it, love it, love it, and do not want to trade it for anything. But the thing that breaks my heart is that leaders at church were aware in my childhood and my adulthood of the abuse that was happening at home and there was not intervention. So, um, yeah, there were things that were happening that were illegal. There were things that were reportable. And so um, I have just a real desire to see leaders understand their responsibility as mandatory reporters that when allegations of abuse come, physical and sexual specifically, because those are the ones that are illegal at this time, that those be turned over to the proper authorities that can investigate, that church leaders are not trained um, to investigate. They're not police. They're not law enforcement. They're not investigators. So turn that over to the proper authorities so that the investigation can be conducted in a way that gives those victims a chance. So um, 
yeah, I come from a foundation of understanding the effects of childhood trauma, childhood abuse, and also um, domestic violence. And while I cannot share the specifics of my story, because I am protecting people that I that I love and people that I'm just not ready to deal with the backlash from, I do come from an angle of of knowing what it feels like <clears throat> to be alone, to be scared, knowing what it is like to carry secrets. I love how Jimmy Hinton and Clara Hinton, I love how they distinguish between secrets and surprises. So if you have children, you can teach them very young that there's a difference. And in our home, we do not have secrets. Because when someone asks you to keep a secret, a lot of times that is a harmful thing. If you're keeping a surprise, it has an end, it has a start and an end date. So a birthday party or a present that you bought for somebody for Christmas, that can be a surprise. So um, I love just the language, the conscious language of teaching children not to be secret keepers. And if someone says to you, <clears throat> we're going to keep this secret from your mom or your dad, or we're going to keep this secret from your grandparents, um, maybe a child has marks on their bodies and they're told to keep that as a secret, that that's a red flag and they need to be able to go to a safe adult. Um, sadly, a lot of parents are not the safe adult. A lot of parents are the ones asking them to keep the secret. So that gets really confusing. But if you are a safe and loving parent, help your children distinguish between secrets and surprises. Surprises are we bought daddy um, a new set of golf clubs for Christmas. But, you know, by the time Christmas rolls around, that surprise is going to be out in the open and you won't have to keep that any longer. But a secret says, don't tell anybody that we did this. Don't tell anybody that I did this. If you tell someone that I did this, I will hurt your mother. I will hurt your father. I will hurt your siblings. I will hurt your pet. So we need, need, need to have these conversations with our children and help them understand at a young age that secrets are dangerous and we do not allow secrets. So there were a lot of secrets in my, in my life. Um, another thing I wanted to speak about that's part of my story that I want to help other people um, just have truth and clarity and God's, you know, what God's word really says versus what we've been taught is in the realm of what we refer to as purity culture. So I was raised again with the legalism. And <laughs> I remember from ages 16 to 22, being, if there was ever a season of my life where I maybe felt separated from my heavenly father, it would have been seasons between the ages of 16 and 22. Because when I started dating, I had all of these mindsets and all of these things that I was taught about purity and being sexually pure that now I realize were not biblically sound and we're blaming and shaming the woman and putting all the weight and the responsibility on the female in the relationship, giving the male a pass. And now I just want to help young women understand what true biblical relationships and boundaries look like. Again, helping these young women understand that 
the patterns and systems of abuse, using the word consent, I don't know that I ever heard the word consent as a young woman. I don't think that I was ever taught what that even looked like. And so basically what is taught in a lot of churches and definitely what the message that was beat into me is you save yourself, especially the woman. This wasn't, this wasn't as strong or as important for the guy, but the female, you save yourself for your husband and you present yourself as a virgin at, at marriage, but after marriage, anything goes. I did not know until a couple of years ago that marital rape was a thing because I was taught that your body belongs to your husband and he can take at any time. That's what, that's what so many churches teach. And so women are literally being raped by their husbands on a daily basis and the church is standing by and saying that that's acceptable. It is not acceptable. He does not own you. Your body is yours and you get to decide when, where, who, and how. (laughs) So one of my absolute favorite books to recommend is The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Ray Gregor. She surveyed 20,000 women that were raised in the type of church culture that I was raised in. And It was an extensive study, an extensive survey. I think she said it took like 45 minutes for most people to fill it out. And then they created data, graphics, all kinds of um, spreadsheets to show how the things that they were taught and how the best-selling relationship books, marriage books, sex books in the church culture, how those things created toxic mindsets that men and women in churches were going into marriage with these toxic, toxic beliefs that were not even founded on God's word. For instance, did you know that seeing someone and seeing them as attractive is not the same thing as lusting? I was raised in a culture that if I saw a man or a young man and thought that they were handsome or attractive, that I had sinned in my heart. It's not the same. Attraction is not the same as lust. This concept that men or boys are the gas pedal in the physical relationship and girls are supposed to be the brake. It's not God. That's not God. Putting all that weight and all that responsibility on her that says if he gets revved up, it's on you to walk away. It's on you to stop it from happening. Not okay. All of the crazy stuff that we were taught about how a girl dresses and that she is somehow responsible for a man lusting. A godly man, a man who has self-control, should be able to walk by a naked woman and control himself. Like that is, that is possible. He should be able to grab a blanket or a beach towel or something and cover her up if by some strange chance a woman was laying naked. I'm just taking the weirdest, most type of, you know, just weird analogy and saying that a man who has self-control and is respectful of women can walk by a woman or cover her up and give her her dignity. Stop, 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 stop saying that just because someone dresses a certain way that they deserve to be raped. That is just vile, vile thinking. 
Um, trying to think, oh, the obligation sex message. Um, again, that ties into marital rape and this mindset of you belong to him and he can take it whenever he wants. And I remember being told that, you know, that 72 hour thing that men need that release every 72 hours or they will stray putting upon a girlfriend, a fiance or a wife, the responsibility to keep him from straying bull, bull, bull. I call bull on that. That is not God's heart. God calls all of his followers to have self-control including males. I'm trying to think of some of the other things that she covers in her book. It's excellent. If you have not grabbed a copy of The Great Sex Rescue yet, please do yourself and everybody around you a favor. This would be a great book to have to use as a reference and a framing for conversations with your young adults, your teenagers. It's the kind of book that I wish I had had in my hands when my boys... when I began to teach them. There are so many regrets that I have about the way that I was taught and then the way that I then did not properly teach my own sons. Uh, We did have a lot of discussions about respecting women. We had a lot of discussions about boundaries. Um, But I was basically led to believe that because I had sons that it was up to their father to teach them this stuff. And so I regret profoundly regret that I didn't have more um, input into teaching my boys. And now as young adults, I hope that we can go back and have some conversations that we didn't have before. They've always known that I expected them to be respectful um, of just people in general, but especially of women. And from age three on, I did tell them that if they were disrespectful to a woman in my presence, that I would not stand by and uh, be, be silent because I myself have been in so many settings. Um, yeah, so many settings through the years where I was blatantly disrespected in front of family, friends, church, different people, and, and no one came and stood up for me. So I would not be that. I would not be that for another woman. I would, I would be um, an ally in the room. I, my kids, my boys knew that. So that's just a little bit of um, my story, where I'm coming from. Um, Again, I am not free at this point in my life to share a lot of details. As a gift to myself and as part of my healing and ongoing therapy, I am beginning to write my story. But at this point, it's for my eyes only. And yeah, that's just just an exercise of, of healing and working through some things. And I have a lot that's just pouring out of me. And, um, I don't know. I don't know if that will ever be something that is released, um, or if a version of it is released. But when I began this journey with Held and Healed, um, Facebook group, you can, ladies, you can join us. It's called Held and Healed, Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. When I began this journey, I knew that there were parts of my story that I could share publicly and then other parts that I tuck away. I regret how many people I have shared other more intimate parts of my story with because they very much betrayed me. Um, They did not know how to care for me. And they took, a lot of them took what they knew and used that to hurt me. 
And so I am more cautious about who I share those more intimate details of my story with. But um, through it all, (laughs) through every part from conception to birth to my childhood, my teen years, my early adult, and now my adult years, I can tell you that the overarching, the one theme that has been there through it all is abuse. But the other theme that has been there through it all is Jesus. And he has carried me and he has held me and he is healing me. He has sustained me. He has strengthened me. He has given me clarity. I was told for most of my life that my memories and my feelings were not valid. And as an adult, I was gaslit to a whole different level that I began to question my sanity. I began to question my memory. I began to question my, question my perception of events. But now that I understand what gaslighting and projection are, um, I can see that that was just abusers keeping me, trying to keep me pushed down and repressed and not, um, not willing to own their part in the hurt that I was experiencing. So now that I'm away from that, I have so much more clarity. And I am grateful, so, so grateful for um, the clarity that has come, the peace that has come, the healing that is coming. Um, Healing, of course, is in layers and it continues to flow. So thank you so much for being a part of my life and my journey. Thank you to all the ladies who are with me every single day as we are unpacking all the different forms of abuse. We are unpacking trauma, pointing people towards resources, pointing people towards healing, hope, edifying, equipping, empowering, encouraging. Those are some of my favorite things to do. Thank you to every person who has been faithful to stand by me. There are a few of you who for 20, 30 or more years have been here. And maybe we don't talk often, but we talk a couple times a year. Thank you to the people who believed me. Thank you to the people who did not... um, choose my abusers over me. (laughs) Thank you to the ones who have walked with me and just held me up the darkest nights and the hardest of days. And for just loving me, who know things about me that no, most people do not know about me and you still love me. I have a couple of friends like that and I just cannot thank God enough for those women who have stuck, stuck by me and loved me loved me so selflessly and so wholly and so faithfully. Thank you to the ones who have even invested financially in my rebuilding of my life and have given um, just incredible support to me in the financial realm as I've been rebuilding. The year 2021 especially was a hard year and I could have gone under financially if it weren't for the generosity of some amazing people. So thank you, Jesus for your protection. Thank you, Jesus, for watching over me. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence, your peace, your provision. And thank you, people who represent Jesus well to me for doing that. I am held. I've always been held. And I am on the journey to be healed. And I thank you for joining me. Blessings.